get weird yeah i have all kinds of like off the wall shit to ask you about including candy and mouth guards and all kinds of weird stuff <laughs> do you ever remember how to do this <laughs> no i don't at all like, i don't remember what it's, i don't remember what it's like to come in completely unprepared <laughs> i'm a little bit i'm a little bit nervous i don't usually get nervous but this is like trying to recapture something that we used to do feels a little weird yeah 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 totally we started by the way oh so okay <laughs> Well, then that, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I've been anxious to do this, you know, because we've been talking back and forth about doing it for like three weeks. But then I'm particularly anxious today because I've been in the house for like six days without being able to leave because I had like a tooth issue. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so luckily today is the second day that I've been off of the ibuprofen. So I'm not like all medicine head. So I'm pretty much fully here. <laughs> Well, the interesting thing about this too is even in the time that we've been discussing it, um, it's probably evolved three or four different times without us having done a single episode yet. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, their initial idea was just let's do it. There was no idea. Yeah, that's true. And not that, not that, you know, like I still stick by what we said originally. Was no, no fucking rules. So yeah, I threw out the, threw out the F word right there just so that people would know that we mean it. <laughs> Which is funny because before we started this, I was thinking, I'm like, you know, what's interesting is ever since I think it was the second episode of this original show, when we decided we weren't going to do cursing anymore, I realized that that kind of changed everything. I I don't really in normal life use those words anymore. It's almost like I trained it out of my brain. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I feel like I did the same thing too. Like I, I almost, I very rarely swear now. It's almost like when I do, I have to make a concerted effort to do so, which is strange. Well, I think like if you go back and listen to episode one, which I did because I'm trying to go back and do all the show notes that I lost. If you listen to, it, I think maybe what it was for me at least uh, was hearing for the first time how inarticulate it sounds when you're when you're saying you know, fuck this, fuck that, fuck, you know, shit, shit, this. And you just sound like an idiot. <laughs> or at least I yeah, felt like I sounded like an idiot. Sure. Uh, well, I mean, I feel like maybe we should say something to the listeners. <laughs> if you guys um, are still around, I doubt there's many of you that are still around from the beginning. We're kind of going back to the original format. We, we, Well, I guess just say we're bringing this back because Lamb and I miss doing it. We don't give a damn who listens. This is just for him and I, because we miss talking to each other on a regular basis. We're going to talk about whatever the hell we want. I'm into really weird stuff right now, so I'm probably going to focus on that. I'm just going to bring in whatever my current obsessions are, and then uh, Lamb's going to do whatever the hell he wants. And there's no rules here. We're just we're going to live up to the name Random Badassery, and uh, that's all we know right now. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to do a lot of the same. You know, I think both you and I are pretty obsessive people by nature. So we fall down these crazy rabbit holes in our regular lives that, that we used to kind of discuss in bits and pieces, more specifically focused on tech during the original show. But now all bets are off. It's all the weird stuff. <laughs> well, it's, it's great because it gives us an opportunity to actually, you know, like most of the time when we have obsessions or, um, you know, things that we're fascinated by, even we don't really get the opportunity to talk to many people about them, especially. I don't know about you, what your social life looks like now, but I don't have one. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't really get to talk about this stuff at all. So the opportunity to talk about some weird shit that I ran across, it's exciting to me. All right. Then I guess uh, let's just dive, pick something. Yeah, let's go ahead first. Oh, man, I've got these little, I've been trying to use these four by six index cards because my, you know me, I, I obsess about m- making sure that the organization is going to be something that's not going to drive me nuts. And of all the, you know, you notice how I don't even care that I'm making all these noises with a bottle in the background right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just realized that too. That's good. That means I'm back into my comfort zone. But yeah, so I was going into this and I'm going, how the hell am I going to keep track of things that I bring up? And, you know, because they're not, you know, if I bring something up once, it might come up three or four more times, but I don't want to say the stuff I already said before. So I decided that four by six index cards were the goal. 
I'm just going to have a stack of index cards. I'm going to talk about whatever I talk about. And then when it comes up in an episode, it goes in the box. It's filed away. It's gone. So then I know I, okay, I talked about that one. And then if something comes up on that same topic, I'm just going to create a new index card. So that's, that's, that's how I'm going to, I'm going old school with this. Jeez. I would love to see a picture of all of this. Actually, the next time we do an episode like this, we should probably time-lapse ourselves doing the episode um, from our respective sides and then post that wherever. Um, because you, you have your index cards and I pace frantically around the room carrying the microphones. Yeah, we have, we have the Holy Fool blog, so we can just put anything the hell we want on there. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, that time-lapse should be no longer than like, it'll end up being like a minute long on each of our sides, but it's going to show us just <laughs> randomly like jittering around the room, like, like, you know, um, it, what I imagine, um, some of those old movie special effects of people during their exorcisms look like, you know, it'd be interesting to do is put them side by side in a video, Oh, you know, like, so you could see what I'm doing when you're doing, that might be interesting. Oh yeah. That would be interesting. Yeah. I guess we could post that onto YouTube or something and then put it on. I guess I, I could do it directly to Squarespace. I don't need YouTube anyways. So <laughs> It's it's so funny because I think that even though we both know we're recording, I think we've just slipped into our normal the normal way we talk. Not even yeah. the way we used to talk on the show, but literally the way we talk to each other in real life. Sure. That's kind of one of the reasons I was thinking like maybe we should turn on the video thing so we could see each other. Like, oh, this feels like we're just sitting across the table. Yeah, I feel like I feel like next time we got to do that. Like it, now it feels more natural. I was a little weirded out by the idea of that just because I move around so much. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like next time that might be a possibility. Even if I'm jumping in and out of frame, it might be cool to see that. It'd be fun sometime to do it, you know, actually in person too. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's a good idea. Now that, we should definitely do that. I mean, that's literally how we did the first two or three episodes, you know. Oh, man, you remember those days? Jeez, that was so long ago. <laughs> listening, listening to those first, I've, I've gone back and done the show notes for the first two episodes and going back. Number one, I still stand by two things, shockingly. I stand by how how good we were out of the gate. You know, like I think over time, uh, practicing and doing all the things, all the learning that that's happened in the last almost three years, I think I I kept underpinning or pushing down how what the quality was. But our conversational skills on that first episode are so solid, and shockingly, still, even though it doesn't compare to this. The sound from those earbuds, which is what we were using, wired earbuds on our individual iPhones, it doesn't sound terrible. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I remember re-listening to them about a year ago and thinking that. And I mean, just thinking about that entire setup, remember we would have um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory playing behind us? Um, And wait, was it Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? It was, right? Gene Wilder? Yeah, Willy Wonka. Charlie is the... Yeah, 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 that's right. The Michael Jackson-style remake. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Um, and we would be looking at each other, and now it feels like weirdly intimate to do that. <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah, you know, I've been since I've been doing all the stuff that I've been doing, Creative Minds. I've I've found myself listening to a lot more interview style podcasts, and just kind of like noticing the differences in tone with a lot of them and a lot of what I'm doing. And not that I I dislike what I'm doing. I actually really love what I'm doing. But I think that um, when I'm hearing the difference, it took me a while. I'm like, what is the difference in the energy here? And it is the difference between doing it this style and doing it in person. They're able to interrupt each other more because there isn't the latency. You know, like there's a half a second latency here. So we kind of have to let each other breathe a little bit. Um, sure. But then there's also, I, I, I've been kind of thinking about it. I'm like, there's physical cues that you give people like, I'm about to interrupt you. And that's interesting. You know, like you, you reach your hand out maybe or something, or there's a tension in your face and somebody can tell you're about to say something. And that it does, it, it makes a difference. It's kind of interesting. So I would love to do some in person just to see how they sound different. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and and if we and we do that, we should record the video for the sake of, of putting it out too as well. Um, I would love to just see that just for us, just to see the difference um, in the visual style as well. Yeah, and for people listening, this is like we said, no holds barred. This is uh, we're going to play around. This is this is not the place. This is not the show you're going to come to for consistency. <laughs> we don't know how often we're going to record. 
Um, I would love to do it as often as possible, but you know, schedules don't always uh, allow for that. So we're not going to stress about it and it's going to come out when it comes out and you're going to like it or you're not. And we're going to try other things, you know, like uh, we had this idea of doing, you know, like what we call it field trips or you called it docu something. What'd you call it? I don't, yeah, I don't remember. Docu trips? Yeah, probably docu trips. That sounds, sounds like something that would come out of my brain. If, if you listened, listeners, if you listen to any of season one of Creative Minds, there's an episode called uh, Hacking Creativity that Lamb and I did together at the Hacker Dojo in San Jose. And we just took a recorder and we kind of, we made a documentary, which is an audio documentary. So we're thinking about, you know, playing around doing stuff like that too. This is just going to be a playground. And I'm, that's, that's more exciting to me than anything is just like, I feel like, excuse me, as I burp in the middle of this, I'm not editing that. Um, Creative Minds bounced around a lot that first season. So like focus so much on being consistent this season and making sure everything stays the same so that, you know, it feels stable. So it feels really nice to have somewhere where I can screw around. Yeah, which is which is interesting because I feel like I feel like we we end up creating formats whether we like it or not. Like I know the original show kind of became that too as well. Um, like we we get into a rhythm, um, and I like the idea of doing a lot of different things so that we never really get into a rhythm, <laughs> uh, for lack of a better way of saying it. Um, so that you know, I like the idea of us bouncing around because I mean, even even the the original core of the show. I mean, the name of the show is Random Badassery. So by its very nature, it shouldn't have that much of a structure to it or a consistent, um, you know, like to give you, to, to give some example, like, I mean, we've spent 20 minutes talking about almost absolutely nothing. Uh, <laughs> I like that. You know, it's very Seinfeldian um, in its feel. And I, I, I like that. I, I like the freedom that that gives us. That structure and all the, those other things, it, it's very comforting. It's very nice to have. And for certain things, you need that. But this just does not feel like one of those things. And I think that that's, I think that's one thing. It took all this time for everything to come back around. I think that's why we came back to this is this realization like, oh, we're we're kind of doing, or at least I was trying to do two things with the same thing. And it just never worked. It kept pushing apart. And that's why it kept breaking or trying to redevelop itself because there was the creativity thing, which is sort of what Creative Minds is about. But it's like that idea of other thoughts and then there was the dynamic of you and I, and we were trying to squish those two things together and they were at odds because one required structure. The other one required chaos. Yeah. And, and I feel like we're naturally chaotic that way anyway. So I, you know, that's not even completely true because I feel like there's a, there's a part of you and I that, that is very defined in our, our creative processes as well. And I think that's where that can live in creative minds. Like I, I like that you have that outlet um, for that kind of structure, but this was definitely a part of your, your personality that was missing. <laughs> and I felt it. I felt like a lack, you know, also, you know, with that lack of social, social engagement as well. Um, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's like, uh, you know, we have this symbiosis where, where we're completely in sync, but then there's enough differences between us. You know what exactly what it is? It's that test that we took. <laughs> I knew you were going to get there. <laughs> what what the hell was it called? Uh, HowToFascinate.com? Is that what it was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, shit, I don't know if I remember mine. Do you remember yours? So it's, it's... Uh, no, you were you were definitely the questioner. Um, oh no, no, no. Wait, no, wait, wait, wait. It was, uh, uh, I was the questioner. I'm sorry. No, questioner is um, that's the four tendencies paradigm. That's that's Gretchen Rubin. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm talking about the Sally Hogshead one. Um, yes, yes, yes. Where we um, had this, the, um, so basically for people listening here, you know what, I'm going to pull up the website just so that I can have it in front of me. Um, there's a lady named Sally Hogshead I heard on some podcast. I think it was a online marketing made easy podcast or something like that. And she's talking about all these different personality types and stuff in this test. And I took it and it blew me away because it was really accurate, but I, I kind of give it salt you know I, I with a grain of salt as they say excuse me i'm drinking perrier water i'm not disgusting i'm just full of bubbles <laughs> uh, bubbles uh so anyways 
the I took this test and it was so accurate, but I still, you know, I didn't put much into it, but I kept thinking about it for like months. And then finally I got Lamb to take it. And I mean, it kind of blew you away too, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So basically the you have a primary and a secondary. Obviously, this is not gonna tell you everything about this lady's website. But you have a primary and a secondary. And one of the things that Lamb and I found is we both have different primaries, but we have the exact same secondary, which is interesting. Oh, I know what my first one, Mystique. Oh, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm, looking, back, I'm looking back through mine right was now. passion, right? Yep, mine was passion, yep. And then our, our, our secondary trait, the one we share in common, is innovation. Yep. Um, I'm trying to zoom in on this image so that I don't have to actually go into the website. This is, you know, what's great about this is this is not something that I planned on talking about today. Really? <laughs> no, I have totally different Stop. things. Some weirder shit than this. But uh, it's kind of important. What is going on here? Firefox, come on. I can't even open a picture. Okay, so there we go. Innovation, which is the one that Lamb and I share, is creative, visionary, entrepreneurial, creative problem solver. Okay, there's. That sounds like the cheesiest explanation of these. This is like a very... When you go into the detailed explanation that she gives of these things, it's pretty solid. If you guys want it, it's free. Go try it. I'll put a link in the notes. Um, but Passion, which is Lamb's... Did you find it or do you want me to read it for you? Oh, no. I've got mine, yeah. Okay, go ahead. You go ahead. Um, which part of it am I reading? This thing is long. Oh, just give a basic idea of what it is. You know, whatever the introductory is or whatever. Do whatever the hell you want. Um, it's the most inter- it, apparently it's the most immediately fascinating trigger. Um, with passion as my primary trigger, um, you capture widespread attention through colorful world words, definitely me, um, ideas and actions. And basically the people who are most like that is apparently Leonardo da Vinci, Audrey Hepburn, Ronald Reagan, Oprah Winfrey, and George Lucas. Um, so there's a, just an amazing okay. list, by the way. Yeah, yeah, I don't mind that at all. But it, it basically distills down to me being very driven by a singular focus towards something that I absolutely love, which has pretty much defined my entire life. So, you know, I, obviously the, the in-depth version of this explanation is much more long-winded than that. It's like a seven-page explanation. Um, but it hit the nail pretty much right on the head for me. Um, and so, it was, you know, usually you take these personality tests and they're, they're kind of vague enough that they could pretty much fit anything. But this one is really oddly specific, <laughs> um, about, about my tendencies as a person. And I found them to be pretty much rock solid dead on. Like I've never taken a personality test even close to as accurate as this one. And let me clarify too, the descriptions of these things, uh, especially the long ones, like Lamb's talking about, they are not generalized. You know, like uh, we talk about uh, uh, astrology and tarot and stuff like that, where it's like, oh, well, it's really open terms, so it can apply to anyone. Or, you know, like these, these fake psychics, fake, fake TV psychics, you know, they, they throw out these things that can apply to anyone. And like, oh, you're going to find love. Oh, shit, everybody can think they're going to find love because love is this generalized term. It could be a best friend, it could be a lover, it could be a dog. You can interpret that however the hell you want. But this thing is really specific to the point where you're like, this is, I mean, uh, it says it's based on psychology. And from the feel of it, it seems like it really is. So mine, Mystique, is, yeah, you're right. Even the introduction on this is long. Uh, Intrigues others with understatement, which might be hard to believe when I talk a lot. (laughs) Very cool, though, actually. Yeah, if you guys knew me in person, like there's a lot of stuff that I just... I don't know. If it's kind of like uh, why I hate doing show notes. <laughs> it's like, oh, do I need to explain this? You know, like there's just certain things where I'm like, does that need to be explained? And it's just kind of who I am. Um, communicate selectively. If you follow me on social media, you believe that for sure. Absolutely. Rarely shows inner emotions. At first, I thought that was not right. But then I started thinking about it. And I'm like, yeah, I do it very selectively. And I didn't even realize it. Independent, logical, and observant. Um, my people, which I like my list too, to be honest. Um, Michael Crichton is the first one that I'm like, man, whatever. But then I got Tina Fey, hot and amazing. Johnny Depp, hot and amazing. Well, he used to be. He's kind of gross now. Um, 
a little skeletorish now. Yeah, in that new uh, fantastic whatever uh, beast, he looks disgusting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although, as Galette Grindelwald, it really works. Like, I'm, I'm kind of a, a huge fan of the backstory of Dumbledore and Grindelwald, so he kind of fits that role really well. Well, regardless of what he looks like, he's an extraordinary actor. There's no doubt about yeah. that. Um, but the two that I'm most excited that are on my list, Malcolm Gladwell and Stephen Hawking. Oh, Gladwell. I knew you'd love that one. That's a high-five moment. Yeah. So, basically... If you guys are interested in this, go check it out. If not, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Lamb, what, what kind of weird shit did you bring into today? I didn't plan on that, so it's your turn. Um, I, at some point, I want to discuss how... Well, I guess I'm discussing it now, so not at some point. <laughs> at some point, beyond point. right now when I'm mentioning it. <laughs> at this point, I mean, this definitely feels like a, a, a very Seinfeldian thing to discuss as well, but it's really interesting to me how different my snacks are between different groups of friends um, and how the type of snack that you share with a certain type of friend speaks a lot about the type of intimacy you have with that person um, and or whether it's a forward moving um, relationship or whether it's a nostalgic one. Um, And I don't know how or why that became such a a present thing for me lately, but I'm very much paying attention to the snacks I have with certain people or the, the comforting snacks that I have with certain groups of friends. I think you need to go into more specifics on that. Because even me knowing you, it's not clicking yet. You need to really give us something to grab onto. Okay, here's here's a weird one. Um, so do you remember, this all spawned actually from something that we used to do um, when we used to get together with groups of friends um, and and have the, our fancy Fridays or whatever it was where we'd sit down and you know bring like olives and and, and various meats and crackers and cheeses and stuff like that and have very fancy, um, almost almost bourgeois, like, you know, kind of sit downs and, and discussions about life and art and the future and stuff like that. And then I thought about, you know, when I hang out with my sister, for example, we eat a lot of candy. Um, so there's very much an attachment to our childhoods that makes a lot of sense. Um, when I hang out with certain people, like uh, my, my friend, uh, we're leaving names out of this. Yeah. But but there's another friend that I hang out with and all we do is sit around and eat chips and pizza. Um, so there's very much a, a, a reckless abandon, um, laid backness to that, um, where we don't care about things like green energy and the environment and politics or anything like that. We just hang out and eat horrible food. Um, and it, it's really weird how you make those decisions subconsciously going into those environments. Um, like, you know, when I go hang out with a, another friend of mine, we do nothing but sit around and talk about olives or not yet talk about olives. We <laughs> now that, that's real specific. Um, so no, but we, yeah, that's totally weird. No, but like we'll sit around and we'll literally just eat 20 different kinds of olives and talk specifically about art. Um, and and I, I think that's really fascinating. I'm sure that I'm sure that there's different versions of that for different people. Like I'm sure for anyone who drinks um, as a social thing, like you have certain types of drinks with certain friends. Like maybe you, you, there are some friends you hang out and drink beers with. Others you have cocktails with. Others you drink wine with. And I imagine that each of those environments is just as different as the, the alcohol that you bring into it. Um, and in my case, the snack that you bring into it. I'm trying to think like you know, ever in the last few years, my my diet has been very strict and very regimented so i don't have and plus you know like the complete lack of social (laughs) interaction but i'm trying to think before that you know what i did have that i can relate to on something similar to that let's see if if this applies to you as well when you go certain places to eat are there certain things that you have to have when you go there and i don't mean like oh i love this dish i mean for example Many, many, many years ago, when I used to actually poison my body with Taco Bell, I always had to have Mountain Dew. Nothing else to drink from Taco Bell was acceptable, but I never drank Mountain Dew anywhere else in my life. Oh, that's interesting. I, I do that now, actually. Um, I, only, I will only drink iced tea on golf courses, but I, I always drink iced tea on golf courses. That's so weird. Hmm. I wonder what that is. Some kind of weird know. association mechanism. There must be like, I mean, I, I feel like there's, there's, there's a, a sense of leisure that is associated in my mind with iced tea. And so because of that, like, because, because golf is such a Zen place for me, I feel like that's the drink of choice. Like I will never, ever in my life drink coffee on a golf course, for example, because there's too much anxiety in the, 
the process of drinking coffee and or what coffee represents to me. Like it doesn't feel like work, so I can't link work to it, if that makes sense. Yeah, because I feel like, you know, like the thing that you were talking about, I wonder, you know, like, okay, I eat olives with this person or or like you said, I drink beer with this person. For me, when I examine that, if I did something like that, it would probably be because I'm associating that's what they want to eat or that's what they want to drink. And considering who I am, like there's a part of me that's a, a, peop- a people pleaser. So I feel like there's definitely a bring them into a comfort zone kind of thing. I think that that kind of, that probably comes from uh, my days in journalism and potentially my training in psych is that I always want to put people in a place where they feel comfortable. Um, and I feel like food is almost always a component to that somehow. Yeah, I don't know if I'm I'm a people pleaser, but I'm definitely like a, I don't care um, or laissez-faire about certain things where, you know, like I, I have a certain friend, I go over their house and him and his wife, uh, I don't know if they do this when I'm not there, but every time that I'm there, we end up having the cutting board out and there's cheese and crackers and, you know, some kind of, you know, uh, seasoned meat of some sort, you know, like salami or something like that. So that's just, it always happens or in my head, it always happens when I go there. But I don't know. I mean, not that I don't like those things. I don't really eat them anywhere else that often. It's just, I wonder if this is, this is what's interesting to me about this. I'm thinking when I go over there, this is how they always snack. You know, this is what they always do. But now I'm wondering, what if they only do that when I come over? <laughs> you know, what if, what if they're trying to please me and I'm just trying to go along with what I think they want to do and neither of us are really like against it, but neither of us are really into it. We just assume that's the way it works. I think you just defined the first year of every relationship. <laughs> that's true. You know? Think about that. Like, I mean, you know, for, for, for better or for worse, like almost every relationship that we get into, you know, with very few exceptions, unless you're a total callous asshole. Um, you're trying to figure out something that makes the other person happy. You're trying to find a common ground with them. So maybe both people are just trying to find a common ground. And eventually the reason why relationships run into to snags is because you forget about the common ground and you start doing what you feel is comfortable. And maybe that doesn't jive with the other person. Or then there's also the the vicious end of it where it's like, I've been doing this stuff because I think you like it. But, oh, sure. but because of that, I never voiced what I wanted. And then all of a sudden, the resentment. Ah, the resentment. Yeah. Resentment's a fun word. So basically, fuck your olives. (laughs) (laughs) I hate olives. I never liked them. You know. All right. You know what I need to tell you about or what I want to talk about right now? It's something that I brought up to you before, and I can't wait to see the way that you explode when we talk about this. Uh Uh-oh. Flat Earth. Flat Earth. Oh, jeez. The flat earthers. What the hell is this shit? Dude, where to even start with that? Oh, it's it's okay, if you guys aren't aware of this, there is an existing and a apparently growing consensus of people out there that think that the earth is flat. They refuse to believe despite all of the evidence of satellites and, you know, airplanes and pictures from space that proves differently. That we are on a flat disc, not a globe. It's I, I mean, first of all, number one, who cares? <laughs> you know, like so. So the you know, like you're, they're fighting really hard to to say that the Earth is flat, but like, what would motivate somebody to lie about something like that? You know, like that. There's this uh, historic, not just current, but historic. All of history, every scientist, every government, everybody of all time is in on a conspiracy to tell us that the, that the globe is round. Why? What's the motivation? Ugh. Dude, the amount, the amount of work over two millennia. You know what, you know what fascinates me about things like this though? Um, is that what if, what if one day we discover that it's totally true? I always worry about that. Like the 0.00001% chance that all of this science that I think I know is completely wrong. <laughs> Well, that's the beauty of science, right? Because science itself says everything's a theory. Yeah, sure. It's all, it's all, until you have empirical evidence, it's all theory, sure. Well, even, even empirical evidence is only temporary in the sense that it's only true until it becomes not true. The sun always rises in the east until the one day that it doesn't. And then you go, oh, we need a new theory. So, I mean, that's, that's true. It, I mean, 
but at the same time, here's here's my big question that I I obviously I haven't done a lot of research into this because you know I need my brain cells. Um, <laughs> but if the Earth is flat and we're on top of it, what the hell's underneath it? Oh, I mean that right? that is just one of one of potentially a billion questions. <laughs> I mean, I I don't even I don't even. And, and I, it, it worries me, honestly, that it's a growing movement because it's definitely a growing movement. And it, it, it speaks a lot to any number of things, right? Like number one, the, the, the ability of society and culture to integrate with science and to make science mainstream in such a way that it's ubiquitous. Um, that it frightens me that people are capable of ignoring that much fact. And ultimately I think it's, it's, it, it defines to me in a lot of way the cult of personality with certain people who are flat earthers. Um, for better or for worse, I've watched a few of the YouTube videos from some of these flat earth explainers or, or justifiers or whatever it is. And, and there's definitely a cult of personality going on there. Um, and and it, it's fascinating to watch, but it's also infuriating to accept that there is a sect of humanity that is this blatantly ignorant of scientific fact. Well, I heard a story. There's a guy, flat earth guy, said he doesn't believe that the earth has a curvature for it because he can't see it and he won't believe it till he sees it. So, and he's, I don't know, I, I don't, I didn't like look the guy up, but apparently from the story, the guy is, you know, he's just an, a normal middle class American, maybe middle to low class American, you know, maybe not highly educated. Mostly I say that because I have trouble believing someone highly educated would believe this. Um, which it's kind of a dick thing to say, but still kind of true. Um, but this guy learned, and all credit to him, learned rocket science, built his own rocket. Oh, yeah. And was going to launch himself up into space or up into the air, not into space. But he was going to launch himself, you know, how many ever hundreds of thousands of feet in the air to see if he could see the curvature of the Earth. Now... Here's what's extraordinary about that and about the same people you're talking about that are on YouTube. Um, so you're going to launch yourself up there to see if there's curvature of the earth because you believe that the earth is flat because you think science is bullshit. But you used science to build the rocket ship. <laughs> you used the benefits of science, computers, YouTube, the internet, to post your video about how science is bullshit. <laughs> what? Oh, <laughs> I mean, in reality, what did, what did I think these guys are? Is these are people that are pissed off that science makes them feel dumb. So they're just, I don't even know if they believe it. They're just rebellion. I think they're just pissed off. Oh man. Some of them though. I mean, they're, they're pretty adamant. I feel like I feel like the majority of the YouTube videos I've seen, they they very much believe it. It's like some of the chemtrail guys that whose videos I've seen as well. Um, the conspiracy theorists, you know, just just ad nauseum. Like, I mean, there's, uh, it. I'm trying. I'm trying not to just yell at my phone um, <laughs> or, or yell at my my microphone. Um, there's, but there's 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 so much to say. Um, but I don't feel like it's, it's worth saying just because I don't feel like there's, there's any, like anybody who's reasonable enough to, to not believe that the, the earth is flat will understand where we're coming from. So it's, it's, it, I'm just, you know, preaching to the choir in that sense. Well, and it's just, it's extraordinary to me that, like you said, that it's growing, you know, I think, okay, so here's, here's the thing. I can't remember the guy's name. I could search for it right now, but I'm not going to, um, the guy who created the original, not the original, original, you know, like the, people before Columbus or whatever believe that the earth was flat. But the person who brought the new movement of the flat earth, whatever the heck his, his name was, he, they found out he didn't even believe it. He just wrote it um, as like some kind of like, I'm having fun theory, you know, kind of like this show. We're just talking out of our asses. And he was just kind of talking out of his ass. He didn't even believe it. Some other guy came along afterwards and found his stuff and then created this movement. And I, I feel like there's got to be, you know, like the, the more intelligent people that are involved in this movement have got to know it's bullshit. They just like the idea of creating chaos. It's like these Kekians. Have you seen this Kek thing? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, uh, I don't know a lot about it. Um, so hopefully I'm not making a, a judgment on something that I don't understand. It seems like 
uh, from what I understand, it's this frog thing, and um, it's a frog god, Keck, and he's the god of chaos or whatever. So there's these people that are all about this Keck as a symbol. From what I saw, I, I actually had a huge amount of trouble understanding what it was about. So I could be completely wrong here. Um, it, it seems like it's actually not as bad as the Flat Earthers because I don't believe the Kekian, they actually believe this stuff. I think they're just having fun, kind of creating, they're like tricksters from what I could tell. Because some of them were like uh, gun nuts and some of them weren't. And some of them were look like maybe they were like white supremacists and some of them were black. And so it it doesn't look like it's it's any of those things, but I could be completely wrong. But well, I feel, I feel like things like this kind of take on a life of their own too, outside of the the satire that they originally were. Like, you know, you've, I, I imagine, you know, it, I liken it to the original of all of these, which is the Cthulhu myth, where, um, you know, I I I read a lot of Lovecraft, and I, I love the Cthulhu, the Cthulhu mythos and all of the creatures in the pantheon that come from that. But I never really believed it to be real. It was just really fascinating to me, you know. Um, and I feel like a lot of the people who who are it's it's definitely a giant fuck you to the world, you know, um, trying to convince people um, that this stuff is real when they entirely don't believe it. I don't think flat earthers fall into that. And I think flat earthers definitely believe it. Um, I think the, I think the Kekians are of the the variety that we're talking about now, which are they're purely just messing with people. Yeah, I think that there's a distinct difference there, at least from what I saw. Like I had a. Someone who followed me on this is how I actually found out about it. Uh, had someone who followed me on Instagram, and I happened to click on their profile, and I looked, and I'm like, "What the heck is this?" Um, you know, I was kind of just trying to see what people who were following Holy Fool look like. You know, just kind of get an idea of my audience. And you know, I dove from him to something else, and I ended up three things, and then I found this thing about Keck. You know, it wasn't a deep dive, and I didn't do a lot of explanation, but they just seemed like they were kind of tricksters in in. I'm using that in a positive sense. Um, you know, like a Loki type figure. Uh, like they were just kind of having fun, like kind of creating a little bit of chaos. But yeah, I think the flat earthers, I think that the more intelligent members might be trying to create chaos and not in a fun trickster way, but literally trying to burn something down, um, some institution or something like that down, uh, society maybe. And then the people, the majority of the people under that are exactly what you're saying. Like they, they believe it because they want to believe it. Sure. I don't know. That's just my opinion. Obviously, if you guys have been here since the beginning, you might remember this phrase. This is not an informational podcast. <laughs> remember that, Lamb? Yeah. And I, I was just going to say, like, uh, one of the things that we commonly used to throw out in the show was, I'm not really sure, but... <laughs> or we never, I, I, you know, I never verified this, but I don't have any information on this, but, you know, followed by an, an inane string of craziness for like 10 minutes for either of us. Yes, this is not Radiolab. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. That's, that's for creative minds. We can research the heck out of that. This is not that. <laughs> right, exactly. Even there, I don't do it. <laughs> Mystique. I hate research. <laughs> no. Well, I, I, I think... I'll, I'll be fair to the the flat earthers in this sense. Um, one thing that's cool about the internet. Oh man, this is really hard for me to temper this. Um, one thing that's cool about the internet is that these ideas of wouldn't it be cool if this was true, or I like this and I just want to kind of live in this little world or whatever. The internet enables things for like that to happen. You know, like uh, Dungeons and Dragons players, they can meet up and they can, you know, have a, a Reddit and they can have meetups and, uh, you know, like they can know each other across the world. That's really cool. But it's also scary and dangerous because people start, it's almost become like a secular religion. The idea of these uh, cliques or um, subsections of society that we're creating are almost becoming like secular religions. Yeah, definitely. That's what flat earth feels like to me. It's it's like this, I mean, it's very tied to, um, from what I saw, very tied to very neoconservative Christianity. And sure. I, and I think that's, it's just, those are the people that, you know, that think that uh, they believe, I should say, they believe that uh, religion and science are at war with each other, that they can't, you know, be the same thing. 
So I think this is just kind of like almost like a like a hemorrhoid. It's a flare up. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I feel like during times like the times we live in, where the world is very divided, and there's you know whether you're liberal or conservative or right or left or or or, or you know. I, I feel like during times like that, the tendency for this type of, of, of thought has comes out a lot more. Um, so, you know, a lot more people lean towards ideologies that are very extreme. Um, and I could be wrong. I mean, you know, just historically, this has just been true um, throughout human history is that whenever we have moments of this much divisiveness or division or difficulty, um, people have a tendency to turn towards the mythical, um, in order to define their worlds. And I think that there's, there's no, there's no, there's no accident there. Um, this is not a coincidence. I feel like it's growing because division is growing, you know? Well, yeah, it's, it's also, it's a, it's a way to seek comfort, right? So sure. if this, you know, if, for example, I'm, I'm going to make a general sweeping generalization here, which is kind of everything this show will probably be, but <laughs> I'm going to assume that the majority of flat earthers, at least in America, are in Bible Belt areas. So, you know, in the South, um, in the middle of the country, um, red states, we'll say. Not all, but uh, I'll say a majority of those people live in those areas. I'm not going to say that everybody in those areas is a flat earther. But a majority of those people, I don't see a lot of these people really in Brooklyn or sure. Miami Beach. Uh, so this is just a generalization. I'm just going to assume that that might have something to do with why it's growing because the fear of automation and the way it's going to supposedly, which it does look like it's true, going to eradicate a lot of jobs. Well, most of those jobs that are going to be eradicated are in those exact places. So if this stuff is all messed up and I don't, you know, I don't feel comfortable about my future or the future of my children. And all of this is coming from science. So I'm pissed off at science. So I'm going to believe this because number one, it lets me be angry at that and it gives me something to hold on to. Sure. So, I mean, in that way, I feel, I, I definitely, you know, even though we're being kind of dicks and we're kind of poking at them a little bit, um, I'm poking more at the idea, not the people. I feel bad for the people that, you know, if they feel that way, if they feel like, oh, my, my world is just going to be decimated because in some way it might be. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, it, we're probably closer to it now than we, we have been in a very long time in human history. So their, their, their fears are not invalid. And it's, it's also why you see what you see in politics. Not that we're ever yeah. going to talk about politics on this show, just because once we do, we'll never talk about anything else. But I think it's the same thing where it's like, I'm angry. So I don't know. What else do you have on your list? Let's get the hell out of this hole. Yeah, we're stuck in this one. This one's one that's going to fascinate you. Um, and this one actually required me to do some research in order to um, to really get the sense of what I was talking about here. But I remember seeing in a TED Talk recently, I don't know if it was a TED Talk or an interview, but it was our, our old hero, um, David Lynch, talking about how cell phones are ruining the the moviegoers experience and how the intentions of di directors making movies are being completely lost on movies. Um, and so as an experiment, I actually ended up watching uh, one of my beloved movies on um, a cell phone. And then I watched it on the big screen just to see what the difference in experience was. And it was vast, <laughs> to say the least. Um, I, I ended up watching um, uh, Seven on my cell phone. And then I watched it on the TV screen, um, you know, fairly large widescreen. And man, it is such a different experience. And I wanted to to know what your thoughts are because you you end up watching um, things on both your devices as well as computer screens and stuff like that. So, what is your experience? Mm, the only thing I ever watch on the small screen, we'll say, um, I guess. Sorry, that's the term for television. <laughs> uh, the only thing I end up watching on uh, phones or iPads is YouTube. I never, ever, ever watch movies or TV on those. It's just it's never appealed to me. I'm like the TV is right there. <laughs> you know, maybe because I'm not outside of the house that often trying to watch something. Um, or, you know, like I can understand why teenagers do it because, you know, they're in the room away from their parents and maybe they don't have a TV in there or, you know, it's just easier for them to hide what they're watching by watching it on a cell phone that they can hide under a blanket. For me, it's just like I associate the device 
with the medium that seems like it, it pairs with it. You know, like online videos. Yeah, that's to me, those are iOS devices or computer screens or, you know, Android devices. That's where you watch them. I don't watch YouTube on my TV. It's weird. Um, but one thing that I can say that might play into what Lynch is saying here is I, I hate going to the movies. I never go. Not because I don't like theaters and all that. I just don't like... People piss me off in movie theaters. <laughs> and it, the people that piss me off the most in movie theaters are usually the people that I go with. Um, and it's not that they're trying to piss me off, but I hate the experience of going to a movie because I get really, if you take me to the theater, I'm gone. Like I'm in another world. Like I literally am. I forget that I'm in the theater. I'm literally inside the movie. Um, kind of like last action hero. <laughs> Uh, and even some of the crappiest movies, I will still get wrapped up in them because it's the theater experience that really, I, I love the theater experience. But then the moment that I'm done and I'm like, that was fun. And the person next to me that I'm, that I went with goes, that sucked. It, it ruins it for me. It, it sounds, it sounds weird, but it's, I think like there's this crystallization period when something ends that you're still absorbing everything into your mind. And then if somebody sure. shits on it right while you're in the middle of that, it breaks that crystallization, at least for me. So yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. kind of see what, what he's saying in the sense that like the experience is meant to be what I'm going through. You're, you're the suspension of disbelief. You're supposed to be diving headfirst into this. But when you, you have these smaller devices or you're watching it on TV like me, you're not getting the same impact. I can definitely see that. I wonder if it changes depending on the type of device. It's, I mean, I, because I have to take it from the opposite side, right? Like I travel quite a bit for work, you know, I'm always on planes and in cars and stuff like that. So there are times where I don't really have a choice, but to watch it on a mobile device. And I know that there are moments where I have to make a choice. Like I will, I've literally held off on watching certain things. Um, just because I would rather wait and watch it on, um, a, a big screen just to not deprive myself of the experience that was intended for it, you know? And, and, and I don't know if that's, that's something that maybe at some point people will start making, um, movies that are much better to watch on a, a mobile device, but I just don't think that that's, that's universally the case for most, most filmmakers, you know, no one's ever making things directly for a mobile device in that sense. I think inherently mobile devices are shitty for listening or watching things for long periods of time because sure. you have to hold the damn thing. And it's just not, you know, having something on TV and it could be our generation or whatever. But I think also the problem that Lynch has is the problem he's not even acknowledging is the mobile devices are not the enemy of movies. If anything, they're the thing that's keeping it alive. You know, like the way the music industry was terrified of streaming. Well, yeah. If it wasn't for streaming, there wouldn't be a music industry anymore because it's the thing that barely kept it alive. The problem sure. that they should be worrying about is virtual reality. Because when that shit comes out, all we know of movies is done. Oh, man. It's done. I mean, what a cinematographer is now, you know, like the thing about movies and directors and cinematographers is that it's selection. And you know this as well as I do. You know, a great director knows this is what you should see. And this is it's but it's also not about what you should see, but what you're not seeing, what they're hiding from you. You know, like a good horror movie. It hides sure. the monster until the right moment. But in virtual reality, you don't have that. So, you know, if you have if you have a headset on that, you can look 360 degrees. How are you going to keep that monster off the screen? Oh, and all I can do is turn my head. Oop, I ruined your surprise. So the person who's going to have to do the quote-unquote cinematography for those things is going to have to be a completely different person. A completely different kind of person. So that, Yeah, what a different way of thinking, too. Because, I mean, I, I, have you tried VR? Once at, at uh, our friend's house. You know which friend I'm talking about. Yes, I do. <laughs> it's a, it's a, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a fascinating experience, and I see what you mean. Um, especially from an interactive standpoint. I mean, it, it's the first time I ever played a video game that was VR. and you know, given the, the, the technology is still in its infancy, I'm sure um, the levels of depth and control that you can have once the technology is in full swing will be very, very different. But man, I will tell you now, like I, I can imagine where the experience is going to go. And yeah, I, I worry about what that means for, for 
well, not worry, worry is the wrong word. Um, you're right. It takes a completely different mind um, to operate in that space. And don't get me wrong. I think it's fascinating. I think that the things that will come out of it, um, not just from an entertainment standpoint, but some things like, you know, medical training, for example, can you imagine being able to take an entire group of students through a human heart to understand, you know, what it does, how it does it and what you can do to influence it. I mean, the, the implications are ridiculous. Um, but yeah, I definitely think that the, the next wave that comes from that is, is really fascinating. Maybe if you guys haven't tried v- virtual reality, try it because it's going to blow your mind in. You don't realize how much we rely on our senses to form our, our sense of reality. And, and let me give you an example to clarify that a little bit more. I'm, I did two different things on our friends on virtual reality. I think it was only two things. First one was an under, under the ocean experiment. I'm on the, or experiment, expedition type thing. I'm on the floor of the ocean inside of the ribcage of a dead whale, and it's dark. I know where I am in reality. I'm in my friend's living room with, I think, 15 people standing around me. (laughs) But I was scared because there was a part of my brain that couldn't accept the reality that I wasn't in a dark, dark place where I couldn't see more than five feet in front of me wondering when I'm about to be eaten because there's fish <laughs> going by. And, and, and to exemplify even more, there's another one that you take an elevator. First of all, actually, let me clarify something. This stuff does not look real. It's pixelated. It is not as real looking. I mean, there's probably ones now, but the ones I was using do not necessarily even look real. So it didn't have to even be high definition for my mind to believe that it was real. So when they can do that even more, I mean, I don't even want to know. So the other one I go into, and it literally almost looked like a pixelated cartoon world. Like I was almost in like Super Mario Brothers or even before that, like 1980s computer game, that kind of graphics. I go in an elevator in a building, I take it to the top. At the top of the building, I think I'm like, we'll say 20 stories in the air. There's a board, two by four sticking out of the building, and you're supposed to walk on the two by four. I know that I'm on a living room floor. I know that I'm in my friend's house. I got vertigo. <laughs> oh, man. My body could not believe it. I had I, I, to go jump off the board. And it took me about three minutes to actually jump off of this and fall off the building because I couldn't convince my brain to believe the reality. That's powerful. Imagine the, the crazy propaganda you could do with that. Yeah, or imagine the, the the different types of experiences you can offer people because of that. And I mean, we're barely scratching the surface of it. And I mean, you're right. Like even, you know, I, I looked at some stuff since that day um, that's a little more advanced and has better graphics. And I'll tell you, it's even more terrifying. <laughs> you know, every, every new technology has um, a beautiful side and an ugly side to it. That's the unfortunate thing with technology. You know, like driverless cars. Yeah. Cars, I mean, uh, computers are smarter and they can react faster. So overall, we'll probably be safer. Negative side, a lot of people lose their jobs and it's probably going to change society completely. Sure. Virtual reality. There's the negative things, which anybody can guess at. There's many things. Addiction, uh, uh, not knowing reality, using it to brainwash people. All these kinds of things are possible. But here's the beautiful side, I think. You're a white supremacist. And I stick you in a virtual reality thing where you have to live out the life of a black man. The possibilities for empathy that come from that kind of blow my mind. Sure. Instead of having to conceptualize somebody else's experience, we can actually experience their experience. That's trippy. Yeah, that is trippy. Imagine experiencing what it's like to be a baby and come out of a birth canal. I don't know if I want that one. Yeah, seriously. You know, or or to understand, for example, um, what it's like for a death row inmate to die. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, 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 it changes everything in that sense if you use it that way. But, you know, they said the same thing about TV, right? When TV came yeah. out, it's the greatest education tool, educational tool ever created. And then look what it became. <laughs> you know, PBS is like this, you know, it's like the redheaded stepchild public broadcasting, <laughs> educational broadcasting 
was like thrown to the wayside so that we could watch, you know, stuff that made us giggle. But by that same by that same token, though, we definitely can watch Ken Burns documentaries too and watch TED Talks. We can, but who does? Yeah, that's true. It's it's probably. I mean, my ratio. I, I imagine my ratio is probably better than most, and my ratio is still probably like one to three. I would venture to say that as many people that use the television to watch educational programming is equal to the amount of people that use it to watch porn. Oh yeah, I wouldn't doubt that. I, I I'd be shocked if it wasn't skewed on the porn side. And the rest, the majority, is people watching. And this is not an insult to any of these things, but watching Big Bang Theory or. You know, whatever the top show is, um, American Idols, that's still on, or The Voice. Um, n- nothing against those things, but th- that's what we use it for. The greatest, uh, what was called the sure. greatest educational tool. And I think that virtual reality will suffer from a similar fate. Because uh, you know, as well as I know, there are people that can't wait for that to porn. Oh, sure. Well, if VHS wouldn't have succeeded if it wasn't for pornography. So I guess the industry has to start somewhere. Yeah, and it usually starts with porn. So I guess that's what we're saying is that every entertainment medium becomes successful once the porn industry figures it out. Yep. Okay, I'll let you pick one, two, or three. Oof. I always like the number three. It's my number, so let's go with that. Okay, this is an interesting one. The pineal gland. So I was listening to an episode of Joe Rogan, and uh, I can't remember the the guest's name, but it doesn't matter. It was an offhand comment. They were talking about DMT, and essentially, he made the assertion. Um, is that a word? Assertion. I don't know if that's sure. a word. I don't know if it is. <laughs> he threw out the idea that um, it's possible. They believe it's possible that uh, DMT can be produced in the human body inside of the pineal gland, which is like this little tiny gland in the middle of your brain. It's actually technically, if you're looking from someone face on, it shows up somewhere between the two eyes and a little bit above it, somewhere in your forehead, but it's deep set into your head. Um, And they've found that in rats, that rats do produce TMT in it. Okay. So anyhow, what the pineal gland, it's called pineal because it's kind of pine cone shaped. But it produces serotonin and melatonin. So, you know, it's responsible for kind of your moods to some degree and specifically to your sleep patterns and to um, your circadian rhythms and stuff like that. Now, what they're asserting, I I had to do research because I'm like, what is he talking about? This, This sounds really interesting because basically what he said is they think that if the brain, the human brain in the pineal gland does produce DMT, that maybe this is what's secreted during near-death experiences. So if this is what's secreted during near-death experiences and possibly what's excreted during death, and they're wondering if DMT in some way is what moves the human spirit into the afterlife. And so when you, when you use DMT, you're getting a glimpse into the afterlife, which is what most people describe it as. Well, weird. It's, it's crazy, but there's like all this... You know, the, it's. I, I need to watch the documentary. That I've rewatched the documentary. I saw it many years ago, but I, went, I wasn't into it. Now I'm kind of obsessed with it. But it's called the Spirit Mo- uh, Molecule DMT, the Spirit Molecule. There's also uh-huh. a book. I think Joe Rogan hosts the documentary. But the basic thing about this is there's also this conspiracy that the reason that they put fluoride in water is this, so there's this lady named Jennifer Luke. Um, I think she might have been a doctor or a scientist. She, she wrote this paper in 1990 saying that she believed that fluoride caused calcification in the pineal gland. So the conspiracy theory is that they're giving us fluoride because they're trying to screw with our sleep patterns and they're trying to screw with the brain, the way our brain works because the calcification makes it unable to secrete certain things, supposedly. The other thing is that there's... Amphibians have this thing called a parietal eye. Are you aware of what this is? I do not know what a parietal eye is. It's a light-sensing organ that may or may not be external. Sometimes it just looks like a bump, um, but it's, it's technically a third eye. Mm. And they believe that the pineal gland and the parietal eye may be connected in some way. 
So the pineal gland may literally be our third eye that has been depicted in spiritual art, uh, religious art for centuries. Interesting. I mean, considering what I know of DMT and the, I mean, don't get me wrong, like my knowledge of it is pretty cursory, um, is that it's a really powerful psychoactive substance that is, is likened to LSD, but more positive. I don't know if that's, I mean, this is pretty off the wall for me. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure if any of my knowledge concerning it is very correct at all, but, um, the, the, the few things that I've seen about it, um, yeah, I remember reading a long time ago, uh, a Rolling Stone article, um, comparing it to LSD and MDMA and, and showing the differences in the, the hallucinogenic effects, um, and descriptions from people who have done all three. Um, and DMT has the most narratively clear and positive, um, visions, um, when compared to LSD, for example. Um, so I don't know, I guess that would make sense given that it's the, the, if you're describing it as the thing that creates the vision that you have just prior to death. So your near death experience, um, is, is that close to what you've seen? I'll bring this up again in another episode after I watch the documentary, I do a little bit more. That's kind of, I think how I might function in the show a little bit, um, just bringing, keep bringing things up till I find out what I find out. But first of all, there's at least two ways that you can do it. Um, you can either smoke it or you can do ayahuasca, which a lot of people talk about ayahuasca. Um, the difference is the experience. Uh, the way that the DMT, smoking the DMT has been described is like riding a rocket ship on the nose of a rocket ship. It's really fast and you have no idea what's going out going on. There's nothing that tethers you to reality at all. Yeah. Um, and the ayahuasca is a little bit different uh, because it's slower and it's, it's drawn out a little bit more. Uh, one of the things that they say is that the reason that it stands out uh, different than mushrooms and uh, some people consider marijuana to be a hallucinogenic drug now when taken in uh, edible form and higher dosage like that, the reason it's different is because it is it completely dissolves the ego in the sense that you the way it's described is when you're experiencing you're no longer experiencing yourself yourself dissipates and all you're experiencing is everything else um and from what i've seen like the images of what you see is just like i don't know i don't even know how to describe it you guys should just look up dmt art it's it's like it's like uh Tron meets fractals. Oh, geez. Some people think that you're seeing like the architecture of the universe. Um, it's completely fascinating, but not necessarily from the trip aspect for me, but more that uh, the tie to, to the idea of death. You know, like what if this is, what if this really is something that we find in the body that ushers the spirit into another dimension? You know, like what if the, you know, like what if this is actually the first step in finding that an afterlife exists or that another reality exists, even maybe it's not an afterlife, maybe it's a parallel life, you know, like a parallel universe. When you leave this one, you go into another one. A different plane of existence somehow. Yeah. Fascinating, right? Huh. Interesting. So I'll, after I watch the documentary, I'll bring it up. I don't know. Uh, hopefully I'll have time this week. It's on YouTube. From what I, I used to be on, like Amazon, but I think it's on YouTube. What's the name of that? DMT, the spirit molecule. Got it. Okay, I, I need to check that out. That sounds fascinating. Yeah. So that's one of the things that I've been kind of cracking out on recently. Huh. Wow, that is completely out of left field. That's that's one of the ones where I had I had I, I couldn't even have pretended to know something about it. <laughs> well, that's great because that's kind of what we're going to do on a show, right? You know what this feels like, Lamb? It feels like a radio show. I mean, we dove in the right direction in the sense that, like, just because you and I are just naturally curious people, we, we venture onto these things, whether we like it or not, in our daily lives. So at least I knew something about DMT, you know what I mean? Right. Um, yeah, but that's, that's really cool and crazy. I had no idea. All right, so you were saying something about how this sounded like a radio show. Please explain. I just I feel like the tone of what we're doing is more radio than it is podcast. You know? Oh, I agree, yeah. It's, it's just an energy thing. It might not stay that way. It might just be because we're excited to be talking again. I, I honestly don't think that that's the case just because we have so much random crap to talk about. 
Um, like, I mean, I have a list of like 27 things and we got to two of them and I, and I'm still, <laughs> at it, you know what I mean? So, um, and well, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad that you has established the level of weird that we're willing to go to, um, between weirder. The, well, yeah, between the DMT and the, the, if, if this is a starting point between the DMT and the flat earthers, um, that's, we've got a long way to go into the weird world. If you could only see what's on my other two cards. <laughs> wow, man. I've got some fun stuff for you, buddy. I've got some fun stuff for you. All right, guys. So, uh, we're back. Um, that might, not mean, that might not mean something to a lot of you, but to those of you who, the one or two of you who made it from the other show to this one, and now we're back, we're here. Uh, we'll be back again, hopefully uh, sometime soon. I think, uh, I don't know. Uh, we're going to end these things doing the standard things. We're going to plug our social medias and stuff like that. And uh, you know, first of all, you guys can go to the Holy Fool production page. We'll probably put some stuff up there. I'm going to try to think, Lamb, if you ever want to blog, we can put stuff up there. Um, where, sure. where can they find you online? Um, I am at The Vacant Room um, on Instagram. That's probably the best place to find me. And I am Holy Fool Productions on Instagram and Facebook, Holy Fool Productions as well. And then on Twitter, unfortunately, because there's a limit on the letters you can have in a name, Twitter's different. It's Holy Holy Fool. So find us, follow us, uh, stick around, subscribe to the show, go write something on iTunes because all of the reviews for this original show are stapled to the Creative Minds feed, not to this one. And uh, <laughs> tell people that uh, we talk about weird shit and if they want to listen to it, then come listen to it. And if they don't, Lem and I are still going to do this because it's fucking fun. Ow.